Good morning. Is it okay if I do a couple quick updates before we get into the sermon? All right. Is that all right with y'all? All right. Hey, I want to thank uh, Matt and Jonathan and Addison for preaching during the holidays. Uh, this is a picture of the type of church we want to be, really developing the next generation. We want to develop them. And here's the incredible thing about what Addison just said to you guys. Uh, we want to help each of you take your next step with Jesus. We want to be a church that has an eye toward developing the next generation. And the beautiful thing about that is when your eye is toward the next generation, each and every generation has a role to play. And what that means is each and every person has a role to play when a church has an eye toward the next generation. Here's what I mean by that. No generation is forgotten in that equation. You may think that is just a vision for college students or for young adults or for young families. But here's the beauty of that is when you're fixed on developing the next generation, you want to see God's gospel go forth in the next generation. And so young adults get... Uh, Get to, get to be poured into by empty nesters. Those, then those, maybe those young families who have kids in the house and, and those senior adults, those, those people who've kind of been through those age and stages and have been married for several years, they get to pour back into the next generation of families coming up in the church. Then maybe some young adults get to serve the elderly by helping them out, doing some things that they can't do. And then those elderly in turn get to invest in those young adults by being their champion prayer warriors, by being their mentors. And so every generation has a role to play when that is happening. So our mission is, is very clear. It's to help you take your next step with Jesus. And that really does... Uh, be put on full display when we've got uh, the next generation up here sharing the gospel and preaching God's word. And so no matter uh, whether you are looking to be developed in full-time vocational ministry like these three, three guys are, Addison's uh, been through the GenLink process. He's now our student ministry director, as he said. But as, as all those guys are getting more and more opportunities and being developed, if you're looking to be developed in full-time vocational ministry, or you just want to be a better parent, like I do, or you're exploring Christianity for the first time, or you're in the last quarter of your life and you want to finish the race well, then developing the next generation and helping others take their next step with Christ is what we want to call you to. You hear me on that? Everybody, each and every one of you have a role to play on that. All right? So if you're looking at your worship guide, a little bit more housekeeping, if you're looking at your worship guide, you will see there Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 18 as the sermon text. That is not the sermon text today. That was going to be the sermon text as of about uh, late Thursday, early Friday, and Steve Heron actually got sick late in the week this week, and so I lost the game of rock, paper, scissors with Steve Lindemeyer, and, and I said, put me in, coach, 
And so here we are, okay? And so we're going to delay the start of the Ecclesiastes series one week. And uh, we'll be in prayer for Steve and uh, everyone in his household that no one else gets sick and that he is on toward a speedy recovery. But I wanted to mention that Ecclesiastes series because it's a big one for us. We're starting it next week, Lord willing. Uh, But we have these study guides and so these study, the, the printed bound ones are for group leaders. That's my shameless plug to if you're wondering about your next step, your next step might be to lead a group because you would get one of these nice bound copies. But uh, we have the entire study guide available at citadelsquare.com. You can download the PDF uh, if you're in a group, if you're looking to just dig a little deeper once we start the series and you have an, an extra week to get ready for it. So, ta-da. Um, so we would love for you to download this, put this in your hands. It's going to be, I think, a great blessing to you as we walk through this book in the Bible. And uh, I just wanted to give a big prop, big props to Addison uh, for really coordinating the construction of that and then Kenny for designing it and getting it all uh, together as a finished product. Okay. That's my like announcement before the intro. You guys good? You still tracking with me? All right. Well, in case we have not met, my name is AJ and I too, I just want to continue the the tradition. So I too am a GenLink resident and just kidding. No one laughed at that. You guys are like, what is a GenLink resident? That's okay. Uh, I actually am am joking. I have the joy of being one of the pastors here at Citadel Square. And uh, if I haven't met you yet, just want to let you know, we are glad that you're here. So we're actually going to be in the book of Philippians. So if you want to go ahead and turn there for me, go ahead and turn there, Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter one. And so if you're new to navigating the Bible, uh, you can keep one of those pew Bibles there uh, if you don't have a copy. If you're wondering where Philippians is, it's in the New Testament. So kind of that back quarter of your Bible. You'll see some Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you'll see Acts and Romans. You'll see two longer letters, First and Second Corinthians. And then this is how I remember this when I first became a Christian. You'll see General Electric Power Company. And so you'll see Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. That part is free, folks. If you've ever had trouble memorizing those, there you go, okay? So we'll be in Philippians. Well, it is officially a new year. And so if you're anything like me, before we look at Philippians there, you have some goals, right? You may not call them goals, you may call them plans, you may call them resolutions, you may call them whatever. But I've pretty much done this uh, every year of my adult life. I've set out some goals, I've said, hey, how do I want to make some progress this year? And I've written these things down. And so uh, one of my goals, I want to share just one of my goals with you guys this year. One of my goals was to upgrade our laundry room situation. Okay, we've had this like, this washer and dryer that I got off of Craigslist when that was a thing. You remember that? Maybe the most poorly, ugly designed website that actually was really effective for its time. If you know, you know. Um, and so 
I just kept limping along like $50 repair here, $200 repair here. So that one, you know, I just put that one on my list to, to just enhance the whole family dynamic. And I am here to tell you that it is January 9th and that goal is complete. Yes, yes it is. Yes, it is, folks. So I don't know if your lists are going as well as mine, but mine's going pretty well right now. You can ask Allison about that one, okay? So, but I was thinking about and praying and planning uh, for this year, and it caused me to reflect a few years ago on the way some things didn't really go as planned and the way things, many things did not. And so whenever I was 24 years old, Allison and I were newly married. We'd been married about a year. And we had a goal, we had a vision, we had a dream, a plan to move to Louisville, Kentucky, and for both of us to go to graduate school. I was gonna go to seminary, she was gonna go to the University of Louisville, and we were planning on moving there. We weren't even just planning on moving there. We had been there, we had picked our apartment out, we had not renewed our lease at our apartment here in town. We were moving, we were going. And so, I'll give you just a, a quick question. How many days do you think Allison and I ended up living in Louisville? Zero, right? Yeah. So things did not go as planned. And so we just, the, I was working at a church and uh, the church that I was working at ended up asking me to stay on staff because of some things that had happened. And it, we, we ended up staying and I planted a church. We we then later merged church, those, uh, that church plant with a few other church plants. Then that merged conglomerate church plant ended up uh, merging with a church that was planted in 1854, hint, hint, and here we are today. And so th- just to tell you that, uh, the whole journey, I never could have planned it. I never could have planned that things weren't gonna work out for me and Allison going to Louisville. But honestly, I really hadn't thought about that potential move to Louisville 11 plus years ago in quite some time. But man, I tell you, it was really real back then. It's something I haven't thought about that much recently, but it was really real for me back then because it didn't, shake out the way in which we had hoped. I was happy to have had more responsibility in ministry at the church where I was serving, but as a couple, we were grieving the loss of that dream. Things had not worked out. Maybe you can relate to a previous year in your life where you had some plans, some dreams, some goals, a trajectory, and it didn't shake out the way in which you had thought. But I'm sure Many of you, nine days in, have some lofty goals for this year. You have some ambitious aspirations about your relationships, your marriage, your family, your spiritual formation, the church, your career, your own personal development. So I want you to think about those things that you've maybe written down, maybe you've prayed about. And I would love for you to picture what life might look like for you at this point in 2023. So a year, 
January 9th, 2023. Envision what life might look like for you then. So we all want to progress. We all want to see what life will look like for us then. Now envision the ideal outcome. You got it in your mind. You see what, pick out maybe one of those goals, one of those aspirations. Well, what if one of those things, maybe the major thing, the most important thing, the thing you kind of put a little star by, what if that thing gets derailed? What if it doesn't work out the way in which you dream? What if it's the one that seems like it's the most strategic idea, not only just for you, but for God, right? God, we, this is a great idea. I came up with it all on my own, right? This is going to work out. So when we think about this, it points us to Philippians chapter 1. Because there's a man named the Apostle Paul, and he is, he is a church planter. He's an apostle. He's a, he's a pioneer. He's starting churches and spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. He's been commissioned in that way. And he's unleashed. The gospel has been taken to many, many places. And we find him writing a letter from prison here in Philippians. He's kind of on house arrest, basically. He's been in prison for sharing the gospel. And so now the gospel went from being unleashed to now the gospel is chained up. Paul is in chains, in prison. And so I ask you, how are you going to respond when things don't go the way in which you envision? The way in which you mapped out, the way in which you planned, Maybe even when you have God as part of the ingredient or even part of the solution. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 12 through 18. And this is kind of the progress report of Paul back to the Philippians. He says this. He gives them a glimpse at his situation. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that has be, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in every imprisonment. In my imprisonment, excuse me. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you now, God, to use the scapel of the word on our hearts. Use the, the balming 
effect that it is to our soul. Encourage us, shape us, remind us of your goodness, God. And let us walk out of here today saying that we rejoice in Christ. Yes, we will rejoice. Father, we thank you for it. Be with us in this time. We're, we're dependent solely on you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So we see that the Apostle Paul is writing here to this church at Philippi. This is a, church, this is a letter that's really not one of those that comes in with tons of corrective issues, got to put out all these fires. It's really a letter that's an encouragement. And he comes in here, there's not a ton going wrong with them. He, he comes in and is writing and gives thanksgiving to them in the first 11 verses there. He's, he's giving uh, thanks to God for them. He's praying for them. And then he gives this progress report of sorts. And imagine that you are at the church at Philippi, someone's reading this letter aloud, maybe even Epaphroditus, who visits Paul, brings him some money, him some goods. Paul later says in the letter, Epaphras got sick when he visited me in my imprisonment, almost dies, and now he's bringing back the letter. So maybe Epaphras, Epaphroditus, excuse me, Epaphroditus is uh, reading the letter, and you're hearing it from this man who started the church where you are a part of. You're a part of this church in Philippi. And Epaphroditus starts reading this letter from Paul and he gets to the progress report, the status update from Paul. And Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And when he's talking about this, what has happened to me, he points to it in the next verse. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Could you imagine being on the other end of that and thinking, man, the guy who is really commissioned to start churches all over the place, our leader, our kind of spiritual father, so to speak, is imprisoned. Man, what are we going to do? What is he going to do? How's the message going to continue going forth? Just like some of those, those dreams and plans that get squandered that we have, right? Some of those, I want to grow in this way. I want to be here in my career. I want to be here in this relationship. And then we, get the, we start to see the writing on the wall. We get the news that it's not going to work out in the way in which we intended. And Paul says, I want you to know when he says, I want you to know, what he's doing is he's getting their attention. He's saying, listen up. This is important. He's saying, hey, look up for a second. Look up. Look up at me. I want you to get this. When you finish reading these four chapters, this letter that I'm writing to you, I want you to know this. This is important. So why is he there? Well, at one level, he's there for preaching the gospel. He's imprisoned for preaching about Jesus, for sharing the love of Jesus Christ. That's why he's imprisoned. He was locked up. But there's a deeper level as to why Paul's there. He says, I'm not here because of Rome. I'm not here because of Caesar. Not really. He says, you know why I'm actually really here? 
He says, I'm here because of God's purpose. I'm here because of the relentless pursuit, the relentless advance of God's love. I'm here because God is really serious about that. He's really serious about that. Even if it doesn't shake out as the way in which I planned. I've got these lofty goals for my ministry and how this is going to shake out and it's gonna be here and here and here. And it's, man, it's gonna spread and it's gonna spread all through me, right? If you're driven, if, you have, if you're a dreamer, if you have goals, if you have a heartbeat, you probably have some sort of goal for your life, some sort of aspiration. We ask our children this all the time. This is like parenting tip. This is for free, right? If you're a young parent or if you're about to be or if you want to be one day, write this down. We shake, we, we, we talk to our kids about how are you going to be okay if things don't work out as if you hoped? And, when we, and we don't say okay flippantly. Like, are you going to emotionally be okay physically? Like we're talking whole person here. We're talking, are you going to be okay in the way in which you think about your value and worth and relationship with God if things don't work out the way in which you intended? That's, what, that's, that's that layer. And so Paul's saying, I'm aware of this. I'm aware that I'm here for a deeper purpose. What is intended let me ask you a question. What is intended in the purpose of locking someone up? What's, what's, what's the intention? Do you know? Say it loud. Come on. What's the, what's the purpose? Yeah. To, to restrain them. To contain them. Right? Well, what's, what's Paul saying here? He's saying it's apt, actually had the opposite of its intended effect. He said, it's actually, my chains have not contained the gospel. They've unleashed it. Not only is Paul writing several letters that would eventually end up in the Bible. So where he, start, he was you know, thinking, I'm going to start these churches. I'm going to forge ahead and pioneer. He's the one that's writing these letters. He's, he's, his feet may, he, not may, he may not be able to walk right now around because he's literally, when, he's, when it says he's imprisoned, he's chained to one of the elite soldiers in the Roman Empire. That's what his imprisonment looks like. And they work in shifts, this Praetorian guard. And so... We see this word here. Look at this. Look at this with me. It says that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that word advance, it may, if you have a different translation, it may read further or spread. It actually kind of reminds you of what Paul was doing. Paul was out planting the churches, planting churches, pioneering. And that word really means to pioneer or to clear, like almost like to clear woods, to clear a forest to clear a seemingly impenetrable forest. These obstacles are being removed. These obstacles that seem like obstacles are actually removing obstacles to the gospel. Because Paul would never have been able to reach this imperial guard one by one, reach these, these 
these guards reach the rest of, <clears throat> of the Roman soldiers if he hadn't been put in prison. And so these parts of the world would basically have been impenetrable to the gospel. And now they've been opened up. Paul's focus is clearly on the gospel here. And so in verse 13, it says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment, and catch this, this part right here, is for Christ. So these Roman guards, they know now that Paul's imprisonment is not, man, it's not Rome doing this. This is for Christ. This is, has a greater purpose. There's more to it here than what really meets the eye. And so this relentless nature, this relentless advance of God's love, God is not only pursuing the Philippian church. That's what we can really do. We can get kind of insulated in our own little world, right? We can start thinking about my goals, my new year, my world, my schedule, my calendar, my planning. And even when God's thrown in the mix, right? Even when it may be something for God. And we see that God is really serious about the gospel. And not only is he really serious about the gospel, he's really serious and he's really relentless about the advance of the gospel in his pursuit of the unlikely. You see, the whole imperial guard, they're unlikely to, to have known the gospel if Paul would have stayed on his path. But things get thrown but a, a wrench gets thrown into things. And then Paul says in verse 14, and most of the brothers, so most of these other Roman Christians, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, Paul sees a greater purpose in his life. He sees that life is defined by much more than my circumstances. Our circumstances can be all-consuming at times. Can you think about that? Think about whenever something, affliction or opposition happens to you in your life, it can consume you, can't it? Did you fall victim to that at all in 2021? A circumstance just overwhelmed you. And maybe, for, maybe rightfully so. Maybe it was really serious. But were you able to have a Paul-like perspective on that circumstance? That's what Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi to do. He's saying this section of text isn't just a progress report. This is a way to look at life differently. This is a way to see a new year. This is a way to see your existence. This is a way to see life differently. Not circumstantially, but providentially. This is a way to see things completely differently. I was not planning to be up here this week. I was planning to be sitting back there, over here. But I really do believe that it was God's plan. God's purpose for me to be here and for us to be looking at this text this morning and for you to be here. 
And for you to hear that it's not just, I've got my plans for this year and I'm going to do some things sprinkled in for God. But life is Christ. I've got to be doing things with God all the time. I'm utterly dependent on the Lord. The Lord is my plan. The Lord is everything to me. Jesus Christ is life. Paul says that later in this very chapter, a famous passage. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That can be just one of those verses that we just whiz right on by because it's so familiar to us. Think about that. Life is Christ. Everything in life. Life just isn't for Christ. We're not just here to serve Christ. He says the love, the fact that God loves me. The fact that God loves me, Paul, overwhelms me. It overwhelms me that he loved me whenever I was out planting churches. It overwhelms me that he loves me, that I get to share the good news of the gospel with these Roman guards, that I get to share the love of Jesus Christ even in my death. Christ is life, he says. Every part of life. And so Paul's imprisonment, as he talks to these, these Roman Christians, he's, or as he's talking to these Philippian Christians about these Roman Christians in verse 14, he says they're even getting encouraged by this affliction. They're getting, they're getting built up. Because I'm facing opposition. They're getting more courage, less fear to share about the good news of the gospel. And how are they doing this? With a different worldview. They're doing it with a different perspective. They're seeing their life differently. They're not seeing their life circumstantially. They're, so, they're, they're, they're basically using the example of what the Philippians are doing too. The Philippians are risking sending funds, sending Epaphroditus to Paul because they know that circumstances, they're just there, right? You've got to face these things. These things are real to us. They're real in the moment. It's real when things don't work out, but you could have a different perspective. The relentless advance of God's love even carries on to some of Paul's opponents. Look at verses 15 through 18 there. It says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. See, he's changing here from most of these brothers who are confident. So that he's, got, he's got people who are sharing the gospel and being encouraged. And now he's got people who are preaching from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. See what he doesn't say. What he doesn't say is I'm put here for the defense of Paul, and I got to lawyer up, and I got to get out of here so I can get back to my plan. But I'm put here in this predicament, in this circumstance, for the defense of the gospel. So the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. You see, 
Paul has a different perspective even on people preaching. They're preaching the truth. So this is the difference between Galatians 1 and Philippians 1. Do you see this here? Because in Galatians 1, what does he say? He says, if people preach something other than this gospel that you've heard from us, let them be what? You know? Let them be, let them be accursed, right? Even me or an angel, he says. He doesn't say that here. Because why? Do you see the difference? These people are doing what? They're preaching the gospel. They're preaching Christ. So the truth is important. It's critical here for Paul. Just like it's critical in Galatians 1. But he says, these guys, these guys, they seem to want to revel in the fact that I'm locked up. They're happy about it. They're cool with it. They're stoking the fire a little bit. And that's going to happen. There's going to be people, even in Christianity, even these types of Christian-to-Christian relationship, where you might not always get along. You might not always see eye to eye. You might be envious of someone else's success in ministry or influence, right? You might be might be jealous of the way in which they even have their relationship to God. Well, they read that much of the Bible that, oh my word, they pray for seven hours a day. How do you have a job? But Paul says this relentless advance of the gospel, this relentless advance of God's love to these unlikely people. God's even using guys who don't like me. God's using people who wanna, who wanna keep me down. And you know what he's doing? He's using them to reach people that I can't reach right now. He's using them to do things that I can't do. I'm, I'm chained up and God's purpose in this is that he's going to advance his gospel. And there's a bigger picture here. Paul's able to see it. And then at the end, it says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. In that I rejoice. And then he says, yes, and I will rejoice. So he says, currently, in the midst of a difficult situation, I'm locked up. I'm off course from my plan. I'm chained. I'm kind of in this house arrest, imprisoned thing going on. I'm struggling to even pay this rent I've got to, so I got to ask you guys to send Epaphroditus for food, for money, hook me up. He almost died. That's going on. Then I've got these guys who are trying to oppose me, yet in the midst of that, I'm going to rejoice currently. And then Look at this way this, this, this verse is kind of oddly broken up. It kind of starts a new paragraph in English. And it says, it's, it's the end of that verse, 18, and it's up in the next paragraph. 
right before verse 19. That's the way it works, 18 and then 19, just in case you guys were wondering. And it says, yes, and I will rejoice. So he's saying, I'm currently rejoicing and I'm going to continue to rejoice. It's future. It's my year's plan. My, my new year isn't working out the way in which I thought it would. My life isn't working out the way in which I thought it would. How am I going to be? Am I going to be a person that updates you and says, I want you to know, brothers, what's happened to me? It really stinks. I don't see God's hand at all in this. I don't know what's happening. And you have... That's the beauty about Christ, is you have, the, you have the opportunity to be that real with God. And God will meet you right there where you are. And he will remind you of the deep love that he has for you. The love so deep that he's willing to put his son on a Roman execution rack for your sins. For mine. He didn't spare his only son. That's how deep God's love is for us. That's how relentless it is for us. And Paul, in this progress report of, you could just breeze by as like, ah, oh, just kind of Paul updating them after the prayer and thanksgiving. Paul shares the relentless love of God for people like you and me. You know what he does? He tells us, he says that the gospel is advancing, that the love of God is being shared with unlikely people. People who we would look at and we would say they don't deserve it. Guys who are captors. Guys who allow themselves to be chained to prisoners for no good reason. They're imprisoning me for sharing Christ. And I'm just locked up because of it. People in Rome, people who are preaching the gospel but are doing so from envy and rivalry. People who are unlikely, people who don't necessarily deserve it. People who, like you and I, don't deserve the love of God. But he says, it's moving forward. It's going forward even when it looks like it isn't. And so my challenge to us today is when, not if, when things don't work out the way in which you hoped, are you going to be able to see this thread of God's faithfulness and his relentless, passionate pursuit of you throughout your life, throughout your year as it unfolds. That God is, his love is so deep for you that he may, he may send someone to jail so that you could know the gospel. I hope you're not the prisoner on the other side of that, but you're following with me. He may orchestrate things in a way in which you can't imagine. He's willing to do that for a Roman guard, for men and women who couldn't have heard the gospel, but from any other people besides these guys who are mad at Paul and jealous of him. God's hand is all over this. And so how Paul comes away with this perspective of the relentless advance of God's love 
is he's able to say this. Look at this in verse 19 and we'll close here. It says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That word there is interesting because it doesn't mean just freedom from jail. It means this is gonna turn out for my good, for my, for my salvation. And you know what he's pointing back to? He's pointing back to verse six where it says, and I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it says, verse 20, jump back to verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm able, if, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See, Paul says, dying is gain. I get to go be with Christ. But living all of life is Christ. To live is Christ. And I'm gonna do so, so that the gospel is proclaimed and advanced amongst you Philippians. That's why I'm gonna do it. But Paul has such a perspective on life that is one that is, what is, what is life all about? What is this year all about for me? What is my life about? My life is Christ. Every aspect of his. Do I see his hand working even when things don't work out my way? Do I sense his nearness? Am I dependent on him for everything? Paul was. He challenges the Philippian church to be and he challenges us to be today. How will it shape your plans? How will it shape your perspective? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that, God, you have shown us the beauty of Christ that he would reach down and save a wretch like us, like me, God. And so I, I pray that as we think about our year and our plans and our lives, God, that you would give us a perspective that is so shaping. That's one that we can see your hand at work in every area of our lives, that we can see from a 30,000 foot zoomed out view, just get a glimpse of how you're working. And Father, that would encourage us to be able to, to move forward and to know that, God, your hand is upon us. We are dependent on you. We are deeply loved by you. And we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to your plan, who love you, God and whom you love. So it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.